0: Let's pray one more time. Father God, I thank You for Your presence. God, we can't live without You. We can't live without Your presence. Lord, it's like breathing. It's like drinking. It's like eating. We need You. And Father, I pray that each and every one here, children who are going off to Sunday school everyone would be touched deeply by Your Spirit today. We would not leave here the same way we came, but we would be changed, transformed, set on fire by Your Holy Spirit. We thank You and praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, on Wednesday night, we were talking about discouragement. And we haven't really gotten into it yet, but one of the things we're going to be looking at is we sometimes have to learn how to encourage ourselves. And so the message I want to bring to you uh, is really for me to encourage myself. But if it helps you, so be it. And I want to revisit a very familiar story in the Scriptures. Uh, We've heard it, I'm sure, a couple of different times here. But how many of you know... You can go back to the same story. You can go back to the same verse. It's like going back to a gold mine and if you dig deeper, you find more gold. You go deeper into a diamond mine, you find more diamonds. And the Word of God, there is no bottom to it. You can keep digging and get more and more. Sometimes God will give you a whole sermon out of one word. That happened to me today. I could literally give a whole sermon on the very first word we're going to read in this passage of Scripture. Are you ready? Fasten your seatbelts. The book of Judges, chapter 6. We're going to see if we can get some encouragement from a man in the Scriptures named Gideon. He's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the heroes of faith. We're not told much about Him in Hebrews, but we are told about Him here in the book of Judges. And to get us going here, I'm going to start with verse 1 and read a little ways down. So you can follow along with me. I think it's up on the screen there. Judges chapter 6 from verse 1. Again, I got a message on that. We're going to come back to that one word. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped, on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. If you know anything about the history of Israel, and more specifically, if you're familiar with the book of Judges, you'll know why that very first word is so important. Again. Because earlier in the book of Judges, we found out that after Joshua... And his generation began to die off. All those that had seen the power of God, experienced the miracles of God, as that whole generation began to vanish, the Bible says another generation arose that did not know the Lord. And it says the children of Israel began to do evil in His sight. And it's almost like a broken record. And it goes something like this. They did evil... In the sight of the Lord. God got ticked off. How many of you know God gets ticked off? It doesn't say that in the New International, but it's basically there. He gets real angry. They would sin. God would get mad. And then He would allow an enemy to oppress them. Sometimes for years. In this case, it was for seven. And He lets them oppress them and beat them down, and discourage them, and rob them until finally something breaks. They humble themselves, and they start crying out to God for help. And again, and again, and again, God would hear them. His heart would be moved with compassion. He would raise up a judge or a deliverer to go set them free from those oppressing enemies. And for a period of time, they would once again enjoy peace and prosperity until the next again. Thus, we've come to another one of those. Quite a few of them have already happened. If you read the first Five chapters of Judges. Again and again and again, this same pattern repeats itself. Does that sound at all familiar to anyone else in this room besides me? Here we go again. It's almost like a script that a playwright like Pastor Quacey would would come up with. Act one, sin. Act two, oppression. Act 3, breaking, cry out to God. Act 4, salvation and deliverance comes from a merciful, compassionate, prayer answering God. And then Act 5, Repeat it all over again. Back to doing evil. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years... He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. This was not just a little slap on the wrist or a little time out in the corner. Let me tell you something. When God disciplines, He disciplines real serious. Sometimes it takes years for Him to work out in us what He wants us to learn. It's not that He's just punishing us because He's mad at us or He hates us. Quite the contrary. He's a loving Father. And as a Father, He's disciplining us because He wants to change us. He wants to change that thing in us that has led us to these again and again and again. Oh, there I go again! He wants to stop that. And He will discipline those whom He loves. So for seven long years, this went on. And notice some of the things that were happening. They were oppressed. They kind of went underground. They prepared shelters in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. And we'll see in a minute, even Gideon, he was down hiding in a wine press. That's where they were supposed to be stomping the grapes to make wine to make the heart glad. And here he is hiding, trying to thresh some grain. Because as soon as they grew crops, as soon as they produced any fruit, the enemy came in and gobbled it all up. Does that sound familiar to anyone? As soon as it seemed like they were finally making some progress, their crops were producing, they were coming up with some new fruit, some new livestock or something, it vanished. You get a raise at your job, And before the end of the month, it's like, what happened to it? Well, the Bible answers that question. It says it grew wings. (laughs) Money grows wings. Did you know that? That's what the Bible says anyway. And sometimes we, even in the ministry, as we're trying to serve the Lord and we want to bring forth fruit for God, we're we're, we're given it our best and it's like as soon as we Put one foot forward, we go back to. As soon as we make some progress, everything's gobbled up. Well, that's what was happening for seven years here. And they finally couldn't stand it anymore. And you know what I found? God will let stuff go on in my life until I finally come to a place where it's like, I'm not, I'm not going for this anymore. I'm sorry. I stop. Right here, we got to get this fixed. I call it doing business with God. And that's why I said earlier, I'm not here to play church. I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of playing church. I want to move forward. I want to impact this generation. I'm tired of watching young people get you know, bound with drugs and atheism and all kinds of secular garbage and the world is filling their mind more and more and they're just going away from the church. They're going away from the Lord. I'm tired of that. I want to make an impact. And I've been telling the Lord, whatever you got to change in me, do it. But I want to make an impact. I want to make a difference in whatever time we've got left. I may not be able to save the world, but I can save at least one or two. You can too. Seven long years this went on. And I hate to break this news to you. Whether it's politically correct or not, sin... Any kind of sin brings consequences. I don't care what the government says about it. I don't care if it's been legalized. Hello? I don't care if all 50 states now have embraced some lifestyle. It doesn't really matter. If it's sin, it's sin, and it will produce consequences. Amen. The Bible says you cannot sow and not also reap. Whatever kind of seeds you plant, get ready. It's going to sprout. It's going to come up and it's going to produce fruit. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap destruction, the Bible says. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. But God will not be mocked. We, every one of us, will reap whatever we sow. Nations will reap what they sow. Government leaders will reap what they sow. Sports stars, Hollywood actors will reap what they sow. The children of Israel were reaping something that they had been sowing for a long time. And you know, as I was revisiting this story something was becoming more clear to me in these opening verses it's almost like god pulled back the curtain for a minute and allowed me to see this is what's happened to the church the church has come to a place where we've kind of gone underground we're cowering before the irs and the you know all the powerful atheist and secular lobbies and and all of the pressures that are coming now against Christianity, and we're kind of down in our little holes just trying to scrape a little bit together and just, you know, stay out of trouble. The problem is, we're not producing fruit that remains. That was what was happening to the Israelites. Their fruit wasn't remaining. It was being gobbled up. And they, it says in verse 6, They were so impoverished. And if we're not careful, the church, especially here in America, we can end up like the Laodicean church. I am rich. I'm full. Look at the marvelous sanctuaries we've built. Listen to our beautiful sound systems. Look at how wealthy the church in America is. We have arrived. Oh, really? (laughs) We might want to take a second look. Because when I look across the landscape, I see a lot of spiritual poverty. I hear many Christians in the land that are crying out because they're not getting anything from God. They're empty. they're, They're hungry. They're impoverished. That's the way the Israelites were. From verse 7 it says, the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian. He sent them a prophet Praise God. Praise God for prophets. I don't know how happy they were about this prophet though. He sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you, that's what we've been studying for weeks on Wednesday nights, and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Mm. That's where the prophet stopped. Imagine if we, you know, Went to a whole lot of trouble to have a prophet come here to the church. And you know, we sent out flyers and emails. And, oh boy, the prophet, the prophet, the prophet's coming Sunday. Invite all your friends, all your neighbors, everybody. Let's all go hear the prophet. And he stands up here and says, Good morning, new life. God has done marvelous things for you in the past, but you're in a miserable condition right now because you've not listened to the Lord. Bye. Pastor, when can we get that prophet back? <laughs> Sometimes the truth hurts. They had not been listening to God. And maybe you and I haven't been. And maybe we need to examine some things in our relationship, in our experience with God. We seem to be hearing this a lot now. Listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. What is God saying? Do you even want to know what He's saying? Have you asked Him today to guide you, to show you what He wants in your life? Hmm. You have not listened to me. It gets better. Now an angel comes. God heard them. Let me tell you something. I don't care how messed up you and I are, when we cry out to God, He hears us. I am convinced of that. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I love that. And as I mentioned to you, I'm going to be straight up with you. I love this story of Gideon because I see myself in it. Gideon reminds me so much of myself. This guy was so weak, so insecure, he had so little faith that you wonder, why did the Lord even bother to mess with this guy? Is this the best he could find in all of Israel? And what in the world is this angel seeing that we're not seeing. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. We just heard what Gideon was doing. He's down in the wine press trying to scrape some food together so the Midianites don't gobble it up. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What would your response be? Probably very similar to Gideon's. First word out of his mouth in verse 13, but. There are numerous examples of this in the Scriptures. God says something and the first response is, but. And I'll give you some free advice. I'm not going to charge you for this. Listen, not just to the words that come out of your mouth, but listen to the words in your heart. Listen to see if there's a but that comes right out when God speaks to you. But my job, but my kids, but my career, but my this, 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 this. But, 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 but. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But, sir, Gideon replied, I want you to notice all these words. But, if, why, where, how. Sound familiar? That's very common language when faith is not really working in your heart. But, sir, if, like you just said, the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And you can fill in the blank. Anybody here had anything happen to you in the last few years? (laughs) Stuff happens! Stuff happens. Weird stuff. Strange stuff. Curveballs come out of nowhere. And it's not happening the way the book said it was supposed to happen. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all His wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now... Listen to the... At least Gideon was honest. He didn't play these Christian games we often play on Sundays. I heard a funny one the other day. I'll tell you in a moment. How are you doing, sister? Oh, I'm doing great! Lies. How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm in victory! No, you're not. Why can't we be honest in church? Because we want to create this illusion that we're all happy, happy, happy. We're all on the mountaintop all the time. We're always in victory. Well, it just isn't that way. We might as well stop faking it. Be real. I was with a pastor on Friday. He told the funniest story. And we were talking about this tendency that, you know, we start saying things and we don't even listen to what we're saying and we're certainly not listening to what anybody else is saying. And we just start playing these Sunday games. And he he told the story of a brother who was passing another member of his church. And you know, as we always do, how you doing brother? Oh, I got a terrible pain in my leg. Praise the Lord, that's good. <laughs> he got a little ways down the hall. And went, Praise the Lord, that's good. What? He didn't even listen to me. We just have these pat phrases. How are you doing? Praise the Lord. I think sometimes it's good for us to get honest and start saying, you know, i got some questions here. Why has all this happened to me? Why did I lose my job and I went bankrupt and my kids all left the Lord? Why did I have marital problems? Why has all this happened to me? And furthermore, where are God's wonders in my life? You guys talk about miracles and answers to prayer. I haven't seen one in a long, long time. And here is the state that Gideon was really in. Now, the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord has abandoned us. Verse 14. You know, God listens to everything we say, but sometimes He doesn't respond. And it almost seems like Gideon's venting all this stuff. And in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. (laughs) Lord, did you just hear what I said? I asked a bunch of questions here. Where is the Lord? Where are His wonders? You've abandoned us. And all the Lord says, Go in the strength you've got and save Israel. I find sometimes we're just looking at things in the natural. God already knows what He's going to do. And He's like, on with the program. Go in the strength you have. Apparently, Gideon had something. Apparently, God saw something in him to send an angel all the way down to him and say, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. And we've often spoken about these things here in our circle, but let me just refresh your memory again. How you see yourself and how God sees you may be worlds apart. You better get on God's page Start talking like God talks. Start seeing yourself the way God sees you. You are a mighty warrior. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. You have an anointing on your life. You have the Word of God. God will never leave you nor forsake you. You can walk on water. You can run through a troop. You can be more than a conqueror. Nothing is too hard for you. And you have to choose. You're either going to adopt how God sees you, or, and we're going to see a little further down here, how messed up Gideon really was. This guy was really in a funk. Go a little further with me. Okay, now the Lord has said, go in the strength you have and save Israel. Am I not sending you? That should be enough. What's the first word there? But. When you're having this conversation with God and but comes up a second time whew, we got problems we got some stuff to work out but lord at least he's calling him lord now peter did that with jesus too but lord think about the problem with those two words juxtaposed like that but lord <laughs> If he's Lord, you can just forget about the word but. But Lord, Gideon asked, how? I think he's gone through the whole list now. But if, when, where, how? How can I? Listen to those words. How can I save Israel? Hmm. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family again it almost seems like the Lord isn't even listening to all this the Lord answered I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together in other words I got a plan here can we move with it I don't care how weak you are I don't care who you think you are I said you're a mighty warrior. Let's move. The question you and I should be asking, and this will cause you to get into your Bible and do some of your own study, who are you? Who are you in Christ? What does the Bible say about you? Maybe you're saying, I'm weak, I'm the least... I don't have any gifts, I'm not good looking, I don't have any money, I really don't have anything going for me, I don't know why you've chosen me for this task, Lord. You can stop all of that and start getting into the Word and ask, who am I? And you can make a whole list this long, straight out of the Scriptures, New Testament. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Wow! Wow! I am more than a conqueror through Christ. I can say that with me. Well, that sounded weak. I'll give you another chance. I can I can do a few things. Help me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Go in the strength you have," God said. You don't know the strength you have. We have the strength of Christ. We have the power of God. We have an army of angels on our side. They that are with us are more than they who are against us. And we need to get out of our little wine press, hiding from the IRS, hiding from the evolutionists, hiding from the secularists, and and all the other groups, and stand up and say, okay, I'm ready. I'm a mighty warrior of God. Here I come. The Lord is sending me. You know, (laughs) I, I just I enjoy this story so much. And again, I'm not even trying to hide it. It's because I see myself here. On and on. But, how, where? Lord, it seems like You've left us. How are You going to do this? I don't seem like I've got what it takes. And the Lord just keeps coming back. Go. Do what I told You to do. I will be with you. Verse 16. And then in verse 17. Gideon replied. If... Notice that first word? There's still some uncertainty here. He's not even sure if if this is really God or not, or if he's having some kind of a bad dream. If I really have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Now help me out here, folks. An angel has come into your bedroom. An angel of the Lord. And you're so messed up. You're saying, you know, I need a little help here. Can you give me some more proof? I'm not sure if you're really talking to me or not. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And he brings this offering and offers it up to the Lord And jumping down to verse 21 with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire flared up from the rock consuming the meat and the bread. Kind of like, do you need more proof now, Gideon? He would. He still needed more proof. He's had an angel come to him. He did some fireworks for him. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, Sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, and literally it's Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. We would normally build that altar after we have defeated the enemy. We got it all wrong. Build the altar before. The Lord is my peace. You haven't even gone into battle yet. And you're, still, you're declaring already, the Lord is going to be my peace in this situation. Now, in verse 25, there was some business that Gideon had to take care of. There were idols that he had to tear down. Idols from his own family, from his family history. It says in verse 25, that same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. You know, there are all kinds of idols around us that we're going to have to confront. There's a big one that I'm dealing with in my life. It's the idol of evolution. And I'm, I'm seriously and sincerely praying to the Lord, how do we take this thing down? It's killing our children. It's destroying... The whole generation of young people that are coming up through this school system now, they're coming to believe that their life has no value, there's no God. They came from an ape, and it's all random chance, and I can kill you if I feel like it, and I can kill myself if I feel like it. Because there's no ultimate, absolute, anything. And somebody's going to have to pull down these strongholds, pull down these altars. And Gideon... Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I find something interesting in verse 27. God never told him about taking ten people with him. God told him to do it. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. Well, praise God, at least he got some help and he went and tried to do something. But... Because he was afraid, oh, here it comes. Because he was afraid of his family. Ooh, that's a toughie when we get around family. Hmm, fear. What are they going to think about me? They're going to think I'm crazy if they find out I've become a Christian. They're really going to think I've lost it if they find out I speak in tongues and I believe in the Holy Spirit. They're going to to ship me off to some mental ward. He was afraid of his family and the men of the town, so he did it at night rather than the daytime. In the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. "'Who did this?' they asked. "'Well, Gideon. "'The men of the town demanded of Joash, "'Bring out your son. "'He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar "'and cut down the Asherah pole beside it.' "'Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, "'Are you going to plead Baal's cause?' Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. Let me tell you something. If you and I really want revival, if we really want to start confronting some of these idols and strongholds of darkness, we're not going to be liked very well. There are going to be some hostile crowds that gather. We're not trying to cause trouble But we need to do whatever the Lord is instructing us to do. So now this false idol, these altars to Baal and all this stuff has been pulled down. Look at verse 33. This, This next couple of verses may actually be the heart of my whole message. So please be with me here. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, And other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. I mean, things are heating up now. Gideon has stirred up a hornet's nest. (laughs) And I don't know if you've ever been in one, but sometimes at that point you start saying, "Uh uh-oh, I shouldn't have done this. (laughs) I should have just kept quiet. I should have not rocked the boat. But I love verse 34. Then, say that with me. Then, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Let me tell you something. You can have all your arguments, all your buts and ifs and how, whens and wheres, and oh, I'm weak, I'm small, I can't do this, I can't do that. What we need in the end is for the Spirit of God to fall on us. There's no substitute for that. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And from that point on, he's a different man. He blew a trumpet. No fear. Summoning the Beezrites to follow him. For me, that was the turning point right there when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And that will be the turning point in your life and mine. We can have our little insecurities, our doubts and our unbelief and our waverings and our ups and downs. Let me tell you something. When the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes on you, you can run through a troop and you can leap over a wall. You can stand before kings and presidents and not have any fear of anybody. You know, those of you that were with us for prayer on Friday, I asked prayer for my aunt... She's older to my mom, an older sister of my mom's. She's what, 96 now? And we have been getting reports, especially in the last couple of weeks, that she's really declining. She's had all kinds of near-death experiences time and time again. It seemed like it was over, and then bam, she's back again. And again, this past week, uh, the family was told, you know, the end is near, you better all make your last visit. And so my wife and I went there yesterday, and I'll be honest with you, even though we prayed on Friday night, um, I wasn't really expecting her to look that good. I'm just being honest with you. And oh, was I surprised When we got there, I expected her to be laying in bed, you know, out of it, maybe muttering a word or two. We walk in through the door. She's already walking out, coming to sit on the couch with us. Two hours at least we were there. She went on laughing, joking, chatting with us, remembering old times. I couldn't believe how good she looked. And my cousin, she lives with my cousin now. Uh, she's 75 years old. And we got into, of course, discussions about the Lord. And it, it, it was so cute. It, it just blessed me. My cousin, she, she used to babysit my brother and me when we were a little kids. So, you know, I almost looked to her as kind of a mother figure. But we were having this discussion and she said, Wayne, mom, meaning my aunt, mom and I are now Pentecostal. We speak in tongues. Do you think that's okay? <laughs> I said, hallelujah! We finally got some Pentecostals in the family! What a blessing! 96-year-old woman and her 75-year-old daughter Is it okay to be Pentecostal? Oh yeah! Yeah, I am too! Really? Oh yeah! How do we expect to do anything for the Lord without the Spirit of the Lord coming upon us? How do we really expect to accomplish anything great in these last days without the power of God in our lives? It's not a... It's not a luxury. It's a necessity. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Gideon learned. And then, you know, we go through this whole thing with the fleeces. Uh, he's still trying to make sure that you know, he's got confirmation from the Lord. And finally we come to Judges 7. I want to jump a little ahead here. Judges 7, from verse 1. Very strange... happens here. How many of you have walked with the Lord long enough to know He does strange things? Well, if you haven't, let me warn you. He does. (laughs) And if you're the kind of a person I used to be, you're analytical. You have to try to figure everything out. It's not going to work. It's just not going to work with God. You can't analyze Him. You can't put Him in a box. You can't figure Him out. He does weird stuff. And he often does things exactly the opposite of the way we were brought up to think and the way the world thinks. It says in verse 1, early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, listen to this, you have too many men that's weird how do we usually think we don't have enough people we don't have enough we need thousands we have too few God says uh, Gideon you got too many men I can't work you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands why because God knows human nature oh how well he knows us Oh my God! We have one little success or one little victory and our head goes, whoosh. Pride! Look what I did! Look at the big church I built! Look at my great ministry! You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. We've talked about this many, many times. First Corinthians 1. Uh, we don't need to go there. God deliberately chooses the weak, the foolish, the nobodies, so that He can use them and He gets all the glory. And there's no boasting. Oh, look what I did. you got too many men... If I let you defeat Midian now with this mighty army you have, over 30,000 they actually had. Big army. If I let you defeat them with your 30,000 strong army, you're going to get all proud. You're going to have a big celebration in the street. Look at the mighty army of Gideon. Look how strong we are in all this foolishness. So, we're going to have to do a few things. Announce now... To the people. Anyone who trembles with fear... Now wait a minute. These guys have come because they're soldiers. Right? 30,000 have signed up for the army. Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave now. They had 22,000 chickens. 22,000 left just like that. Anybody here scared? Man, they were breaking down the exits. I'm out of here. Okay, we're down to 10,000. That ought to do it, right Lord? Nope. There are still too many men. God is weird. He thinks weird. He does strange stuff. Why do we have too many men, Lord? Ten thousand ought to do it. No. Take them down to the water and I will sift them. Say that with me. Sift them. God is the great sifter. He used two tests to whittle them down from over thirty thousand to just three hundred. First test, who's afraid? That got rid of 22,000. Now, let's take them down to the water. I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So there's a second test. This one's really strange. How many of you have found some of God's tests are strange? Peter says, Don't think it a strange thing when something strange comes to test you. I don't know if it happens this way with you, but it doesn't with me. God doesn't send you a notice in the mail. Get ready because on Thursday a test is coming. He doesn't, he doesn't warn you. That's what makes them so good. They just come out of nowhere. Uh oh. I'm in a test. <laughs> so Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands of their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. God says, okay, those three hundred, they're the only ones you need. I'm not going to go into what that means. I'm not sure. I've heard a lot of different explanations of, you know, lapping like a dog and the the ones who knelt down they were in a vulnerable position that the ones who were still on their feet they were ready for battle and still drinking their water i don't know what's important is god was whittling them down to a small number now he's got them down to just 300 send the rest of them home that's all we need there's one more confirmation I mean, we've had angels, we've had fire coming down from heaven, we've had wet fleece, dry fleece, so many confirmations. Does this guy need anything else to let him know for sure that God is with him? Yes. Look at verse 10. I love it. Right after God says, I'm going to deliver them into your hands, you're going to be victorious. But if you're still afraid, go down to the camp with your servant Puro. So how will we know whether or not Gideon is still afraid at this point? After all the other stuff, how are we going to know that? Very simple. If he goes down to the camp, he's still afraid. Guess what? He went down to the camp. And he gets down there, In verse 13, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream. He was saying, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon. They don't know Gideon. They don't know he's standing there listening to all this. This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. The enemies are now having dreams about Gideon defeating them. They're talking about it, and God has Gideon overhear this conversation. Hopefully now, he knows that he knows that he knows that God is with him. Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. I would. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. All right. Let's move. Let's move. You know what I take away from this story? And it's not over yet, but I'll tell you what I take away. And I've learned this in my own life. God works with us where we are. We might see somebody way up on a pedestal and think, man, I could never have faith like that guy. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't know the process that guy had to go through to get where he is. And maybe you don't know how weak he really is and it 's really not his strength it's the strength of God in him and I'm becoming more and more um, emphatic about this, especially with pastors and ministers. We need to stop misleading people into thinking we're supermen we 're just normal people we got weaknesses we 're just like you we're no different. The only difference is the power of God in us that's the only difference and What I learned from Gideon is God kept working with him. I mean, God could have said, Gideon, that request about the dry and the wet fleece, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that for you. But he did. Now don't expect God to do the same thing for you. And we have, you know, we have a common phrase now in Christian circles Oh, I'm going to put out a fleece to see whether the Lord is in this or not. He may or may not respond to you, but I will tell you one thing, He's going to work with your faith. He'll work with you where you are, and He wants to get you where He wants you to be. And with all your doubts and all your fears and all your questions and all your insecurities, He could easily just wash His hands and say, man, I am so tired of working with this guy Wayne, I'm going to look for somebody else. He doesn't do that. He just patiently keeps working, keeps encouraging, keeps confirming, keeps saying, go, I'll be with you. You'll defeat the enemy. I'm going to give you victory. Do what I've called you to do and it will be a great success. He just stays on that constant theme. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. I will do it. Well, finally, it seems that Gideon's ready. And in verse 16, he divides the 300 men into three companies of 100. And here's where it gets even real strange. No swords. No weapons. 300 men facing an army of enemies. And what do you have? Trumpets. Trumpets. Empty jars and torches. Oh, this is gonna be great, Gideon. This is gonna work real fine. Trumpets, empty jars, and torches. You know, the Bible says very clearly God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He does it on purpose. He he could have done anything. Could have been uh violins or thimbles of oil. It didn't matter. It was just that he chose a couple of foolish things. A trumpet, an empty jar, and a torch for each man. If I'm one of those 300 men, I'm like, what are we going to do? What is the plan here, Captain? Okay, you watch me. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Uh, Gideon, i got a question. <laughs> if we all blow our trumpets, they're going to know exactly where we all are. And there's only 300 of us, and there are tens of thousands of them. We're going to be like sitting ducks. Don't we want to go in there with stealth? Go in there quiet? Sneak up on them? I mean, you want us to announce our coming with trumpets? Yes. Not only blow the trumpets, shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It gets better. Gideon, the hundred men with him, verse 19 reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets, broke the jars that were in their hands. Remember, the torches are hidden inside these jars. They were not glass jars. They would have been made of pottery. So you couldn't see the light from the torch. The pot had to be broken in order for the light to come forth. They blew their trumpets, broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets, smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. There was no sword. Or was there? Oh, there was a sword. That's what they were shouting about. The sword of the Lord is here. The sword of the Lord is here. The battle is the Lord. It's not ours. We can blow a few little trumpets, smash a few jars, but the Lord is here. He's going to be swinging his sword around. He is going to give us the victory. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And literally without a single human sword, the whole enemy army was defeated. Similar to a story we read a few weeks ago when Jehoshaphat sent out the praisers in front. All they did was sing and say, Lord, you're good. (laughs) And all the enemies started beating up each other and they killed each other they didn't have to do anything. I wrote down a couple of questions here and I'm not sure I fully have the answer. You can think about it this week. What do the torches inside the jars represent? What do the trumpets represent? I mean, these were... they were foolish as instruments of war, but there must be a message. Why did God want them blowing trumpets? And why did God have these torches inside jars that had to be broken? I'll share a few thoughts with you, and maybe you can come up with more. In 2 Corinthians chapter four, we have a clear explanation from the Apostle Paul what the jars are. Did you know you're a jar? You're a jar of clay. And just like Gideon's 300 men, there is a blazing torch inside that jar. Listen to me carefully. The jar had to be broken. The jar contained the torch. But the torch was only able to shine and manifest as the jar was smashed and broken. 2 Corinthians 4 from verse 7. I'm almost done here. But we, raise your hand if you're a we. I'm not sure what some of you are. <laughs> I know it's getting late. <laughs> but we have this treasure in jars of clay. How did God make Adam? Out of clay. He's referring to this body. We have this treasure. What treasure? In the context, he's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Remember, you got too many men. You'll take the credit. God doesn't want to share His glory with anyone. This isn't about you and me. It's about Him. It's not about the jar. It's about what's inside the jar. There's a torch inside you that needs to be reignited. We need to be on fire for God now in these last days. We need to be unashamed, unafraid, excuse me. We need to be willing to smash our pride and our selfishness and our carnality and let the light of Jesus Christ shine through. No apologies, no shame. This is who I am. I believe in God. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jars of clay. Filled with a treasure. He calls it the all-surpassing power of God. What do the trumpets represent? Well, there are numerous Scriptures where trumpets are associated with praising God. Trumpets were used as a, a rallying call to war. I think the blowing of the trumpet speaks about praising God and declaring God's word. Are trumpets quiet? No. Can you go? No. <laughs> They're loud. Our voices in these last days, they need to become like trumpets. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians about having a clear sound that comes from the trumpet. You hear these politicians, one day they're saying one thing, next day they believe something else, and it's like, wait a minute, I thought he was for this, now he's for that. Next week he'll be for that. Next week he's against that. No, I I appreciate Anyone who at least gets up and says the same thing day in and day out, this is what I believe, this is what I'll do, with a clear trumpet call. How much more we who know the Lord, we should be praising God with voices like trumpets and declaring His Word in the same way. What a mighty victory God gave that weak little man called Gideon insecure, doubting. How many times God had to keep working with him? But, how, when, where, what if? Lord, I need some more proof, some more signs, some more confirmations. But there comes a time when God seals it all when His power comes upon you. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's to equip you to do whatever you're supposed to do. And those of you that have had the experience, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know how to better explain it in human words, but you just know that you know that you know that God has anointed you and it's time to move. No more doubts. No more questions. Let's go. Let's do whatever God has called us to do. And that's when real victory comes. That's when real victory came for Gideon. And I want you to stand with me today as we close. Stop thinking about all your doubts, all your questions, how, when, where, what, if, but. Just focus on one thing. What is the Lord telling you? What is the Lord telling you to do? I don't care how impossible it sounds. What is He telling you to do? Stop questioning it, analyzing it, reasoning it out. Just settle. That's what God has spoken to me. Now we're going to do it. I don't know how. And you may hear God whisper, go in the strength I've given you. Go in the strength I've given you. And I have found when I finally just surrender and say, okay God, I don't know how to do this. I don't, I don't feel qualified. I don't feel like I have the strength. But I'm willing. That's when the anointing comes. That's when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you to do and to equip you to do whatever it is that He's calling you to do. Just close your eyes and let this marinate for a minute or two in your heart and mind. What is the Lord? saying to me? What has he been saying to me? Have I reasoned it away? Have I doubted it? Have I been waiting for more confirmation? That's okay. We talked about how God will work with you just like He worked with Gideon, but at least we're willing. Lord, here I am. Your servant is listening. Lord, every one of us here today, we want to know what You are saying to us, both as individuals and as a body. Lord, these are dark times. These are desperate days. The world is rapidly deteriorating. And Lord, You've placed us here for such a time as this. Let us not miss... Our opportunity now to arise and shine for the Lord. And God, that torch that You've placed within each and every one of us, reignite it. Set us on fire, O God. And Lord, let that jar of clay be broken. Let the selfishness and the pride fall away so that the light of Christ can be seen by others in us. And Lord, we know that You will give us a great victory. For greater is He that is in us than he who is in the world. Lord, I pray for each and every one here today. Strengthen our faith. Take us from faith to faith. Keep speaking to us. Keep confirming in our hearts and minds the things that You've called us to be and to do. Lord, I declare that we will be an overcoming church. We will be an impacting church. We will affect this generation. Our young people will not go the way of Sodom and Gomorrah. They will not go the way of the world. Our young people will serve the Lord. They will rise up and prophesy. They will be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord will be upon their lips. And God, we pray that somehow we can have even greater impacts on our neighborhoods, on our families, on this community round about us, on this whole Washington, D.C. metro area. God, we know it's beyond our ability, but there's nothing too hard for You. And we just close the day declaring we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And now, Lord, send us in that strength, not in our own, but in your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen Amen and amen. God bless you all.